me in the studio today is former Portland City Mayor Ethan Strimling to talk about who's winning the Democratic primary, if anyone. Welcome, Ethan Strimling. Thanks. Good to be here. (laughs) It's great to have you. So on July 13th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Democrats will nominate their candidate to run against Donald Trump. Right now, the major contenders are Bernie Sanders, of course, Joe Biden, Mike Bloomberg, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, and Amy Klobuchar. At this point, in your view, who's winning? Uh, you know, it's, uh, you remember, I don't know if you're a golf fan, but um, when Tiger Woods was kind of at the top of his game and people would say, you know, there was never uh, a wager out there that said, you know, is Tiger or Phil going to win or is Tiger or Sergio going to win? It was Tiger versus the field, like everybody. And that's where I think we are right now. This is Bernie Sanders' race to lose at this point. He is the one that is going to get the most delegates at this point. And so the, it's pretty much him against the field. But the field is not even creating um, – Uh, an issue of whether the field will get more. There's nobody in the field who it appears can get more than him. The question is really whether the field is going to prevent him from getting a majority. But I don't have any doubt at this point that um, Bernie will be the one going into the convention with the most delegates. And I think that once Super Tuesday happens and a few of these, a few more elections occur, a few more people will drop out and he will start to um, bring folks together unless there's a big shift. Okay, but with only 64 delegates allocated right now and um, like 1,991 needed to win the nomination, isn't it really too soon to tell? Well, uh, of course, pundits don't like it when we try to declare that there's some, and as you know, you and I, I was doing uh, punditry for 10 years, so we love something that sort of keeps people interested in the game. But look, Bernie's probably going to win tomorrow in Nevada. Um, in South Carolina, it's going to be close, and um, he could win it. He will pretty clearly, I think, um, be one of the top two. And then Super Tuesday is going to happen. And by Super Tuesday, we're talking about 1,500 delegates will be allocated. And Bernie will probably have over 600 of those delegates. Uh, so he will be the cle- he will have twice as many delegates as any other candidate. Joe Biden and Mike Bloomberg are each going to get a couple of hundred that day, probably. Uh, you know, maybe Warren has 100, maybe Pete has 150. So w- once Super Tuesday happens, which is about 10 days away, Bernie Sanders will clearly have double the amount of delegates of any other candidate and start to consolidate it. So, of course, it's not over today. But let's be pretty clear. By Super Tuesday, I th- think anybody who still has any qualms about whether or not Bernie is probably going to be the nominee, I think that will change. There's been an impeachment backlash favoring the president. Uh, Donald Trump's job approval rating is at his personal best at 49%, according to a recent Gallup poll. 50% of Americans disapprove of the president, 1% undecided, according to Gallup. Within Republicans, of course, his approval rating is really high, like 94%. But what's interesting is independents are up six percentage points from early January. My question is, Which Democratic candidate, if any, in your view, benefits from the increasing number of independents leaning right? Well, I don't I I think it's impossible to decide. You know, the the question on the Democratic side around viability, I think, is always problematic because I think people try to use viability as a reason 
to try to claim the candidate that they actually don't like in their heart is the one you shouldn't vote for, as opposed to arguing the policy. Every one of these candidates has strengths, and every one of these candidates has weaknesses in certain places. You know, you could say that Bernie and Elizabeth Warren have a weakness in Pennsylvania because they support banning fracking. But right now, the polling shows both of them beating Donald Trump in Pennsylvania. It also shows both of them losing in Wisconsin. So you look. But at it also state. shows all the other Democratic contenders winning in Pennsylvania exactly. as well, including right. Bloomberg. So it seems Absolutely. to me that's the point I'm trying to make. You could I'm saying their greatest liability, like the candidates that you would consider to have the greatest liability in Pennsylvania, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are even winning there. You're right. Joe Biden, Bloomberg are higher margin of winning in a place like Pennsylvania at the moment. But all of that, I think it's just way too early to look at those kind of polls. And, and I would also push back a little bit on the numbers that you presented around favorables. Uh, I understand Rasmussen. Rasmussen is a Republican conservative firm. Gallup is not, and that number's legit. But you have to look at the plethora of numbers. Just today, numbers from ARG, Kaiser Family Foundation, AP, NORC, all coming out showing numbers of Trump's um, disapproval uh, rating underwater by plus by 14 by 12 by 13 so his approval ratings uh, are, when you look at the aggregate are, he is consistently under 50 percent and that's the key is there more than 50 percent disapproving of him and that's strong well it seems though that the Gallup poll was pretty convincing that this was his high mark but it's still again like you said it wasn't over poll. 50 yeah it yeah. wasn't over 50. now turning to the economy yeah. Americans' confidence in the economy is higher at this point than it's ever been in the past two decades. 63% um, of Americans now approve of the way the president is handling the economy, up six points from November. Um, a Washington Post poll, this was, I thought, really interesting, shows that 29% of Americans say they are getting ahead and 53% are holding steady. So 82% of Americans are doing okay in this economy, this very strong economy. My question is, what Democratic candidate, in your view, benefits, if, if any of them, from a rising economy? Who can make the most of a rising economy, given their platform, in your view? Um, I don't know. I mean, a lot of folks look back at past races, and the economic indicators are... Um, good indicators of whether an incumbent president will win re-election. In the end, we have to remember this is going to be a race about Donald Trump. And that's why I keep saying to Democrats, we need to nominate who we want. And then once we get there, we're going to have to run that race. But for us to try to determine right now who's best or worst, I think is a, is a fool's errand. But the thing to know about the economic numbers is with economic numbers that strong, Trump's favorables should be so much higher when you look at other um, incumbent presidents who had that kind of number, and they aren't. So that makes me say, cast them aside. But who's got a good economic message? Uh, look, I, th I think all of these candidates understand that the middle class. I think Bernie is obviously most connected to kind of a working class, middle class message, I think. Um, I think that Amy Klobuchar has been, you know, uh, trying to find sort of that balance place for folks, but she's got that Midwestern recognition that Pete Buttigieg also has of kind of what people are going through in a day-to-day, -day. how do I just kind of make sure I get a little more wind in my sails? So I can look at every one of these candidates and say, what are their, some of their strengths around the economic messages? Do you think, though, that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, their doom and gloom message about the economy is exaggerated? 
I mean, they, they really hit hard on this economic inequality, which, yeah. you know, is important, but it's not one of the top, you know, it's, I think it's the fifth most important issue for Democrats going into the election. I mean, do you think that they're exaggerating the doom and gloom economy a little too much? I think a lot of people are struggling out there, so I don't. I, I think that there is, uh, I think you have to make very clear what are the problems in this economy. The income inequality is the most significant that it has been, as you know, in 50 years. It is so problematic. And, and even here in the city of Portland, our homeless shelters are packed. And uh, that is not an indication of uh, immigration or anything like that. That's an indication of a very tough economy that is squeezing people out, housing market, whatever it is. So I think trying to tap into people's um, fears around that is not a bad thing. But I think with all these candidates, they have a lot of different pieces that they're talking about. You need to find a narrative. Part of why I think Bernie is actually doing well is because his narrative is the most clear, right? It's the most clear what he's talking about. So people sort of connect to it for whatever reason they're connecting to it. And that's kind of brought him, I think, toward the top. I think Joe Biden's economic message, he's somebody who just has this history of having been with working class people for so long that people recognize him as somebody, hey, he's been on my side. And so I think that's part of why his message, at least, was keeping him at the forefront before. He's obviously fallen back at this point. I think Bloomberg, we're just learning about, obviously. Bloomberg has been out there. He's putting his own messages out. He's now starting to get some of this give and take, and people will start to get more depth around whether his success story, which is sort of the iconic American success story that everybody wants to aspire to at some level, whether that's going to be, whether he can find a way to communicate that. I don't know if he can or not. He certainly didn't the other night at the debate, Lord knows. But, you know, there's going to be another debate, and he's got to find his way to do that. Okay, so I, I think what I'm hearing you say, I know what I'm hearing you say, is you believe that Bernie Sanders is going to go into the de uh, convention with the most delegates and likely be, the, or could very well be the nominee. And so let's turn now to some more research and polling around who Americans would vote for. And according to Gallup, um, you know, more than 9 in 10 Americans say they would vote for a presidential candidate nominated by their party who happened to be black, Catholic, Hispanic, Jewish, or a woman. Um, that willingness drops to 8 in 10% candidates who are evangel evangelical Christians or gay and lesbian. Just one group tested, socialists, received a majority opposition. Less than half of Americans, 45%, say they would vote for a socialist for president, while 53% say they would not. Now, so given that statistic, that's, that's with, election, right? with, a, yeah, with, an, with, another, with another observation that by a wide margin, Democrats want to nominate a candidate who can defeat Donald Trump by like 58 to 38%. So the question is, how does Bernie Sanders overcome this this obstacle of of Americans' distrust of socialism and the Democrats' desire to nominate a candidate who can beat Trump, regardless if that person has agreement on every you know issue? Yeah, I, I think that I think that will be probably the big issue that Bernie has to deal with. What Bernie's strength is, like Joe Biden, I'd say the two of them are the most vetted candidates. There's no surprises here, right? Bernie's saying he's a democratic socialist. He's been saying it for 30 years. And yet he's winning, beating Donald Trump in head-to-head -head polls in a lot of the swing states and um, in some of the national, in the national polls. So even with people already knowing that, that's the problem with polls like that. Because look, in 2008, I didn't think America was going to vote for a black man. And I'll bet if you did some polls at that time, way more people said they would than actually were willing to, right? Because at some level or another, you're talking to a pollster, you don't want to admit your own issues. So 
I'm not sure that America is ready to vote for a Jew as a Jew. I have no idea. People will say they are, but we don't know. Every candidate is going to have the liabilities when they walk into this. Bernie's around this is going to have to figure out how to respond to this. He's done a pretty good job so far. He keeps bringing it back to the issues, right, just like any candidate should when they try to distract you. Bring it back to what the issues are that people care about. Bernie has been doing that, and so if he becomes our nominee, he's going to have to continue to say, well, when I talk about it, what I mean is $15 an hour and universal health care for everybody, focusing on income inequality, college tuition reduction and free. Those are the kind of issues that any candidate will have to come back to. But again, every candidate is going to get into the general election with whatever their liabilities are. I mean, Pete Buttigieg is going to get in there. He's 38 years old, right? He is somebody who he is going to have to deal with the experience question, right? That's going to be, I don't know if they asked the question, do you care whether somebody has experience or not? And he has the least of anybody in the race. He's going to have to deal with that question. Or Amy Klobuchar might have to deal with the question about how she treats her staff or what are some positions that she's taken. They're all. But look, Donald Trump is going to paint these people however he wants to paint them in order for him to win. So he will paint Mike Bloomberg as a socialist if he has to paint Mike Bloomberg as a socialist because that will help him win Wisconsin. That's going to be a hard that that would it, be challenging, it, I think. Just to answer, not to, that hard. To, you, yeah. you've been in politics. You see people do it. <laughs> um, just to respond to your earlier comment about age, according to that poll, between six and seven out of ten would vote for someone who is under forty years old. So that's, I think, whatever. It's an yeah. o- it's an observation. Okay, so my I guess my last question to you is: assuming that. Um, Bernie Sanders is a major contender for the nomination, and his opponent in the race is Mike Bloomberg. And I think you described earlier Mike Bloomberg's personal story, as far as you know at this point, he hasn't been fully vetted, is an iconic story of the American dream, achieving the American dream. And he has pledged to give— And Bernie's kind of is, too, I I should say. You know, his his growing up, and now he's a U.S. senator running for president. Barack Obama's a lot of these, so that's fair. So which vision, though? They're, I think they're two different. Bernie Sanders has been down in Washington for decades, um, you know, fighting a fight, often alone, um, standing in fierce opposition to the plutocracy that he often criticizes. Mike Bloomberg has, within that system, as we've said, sort of achieved something else. So which view, in your mind, best depicts the Democratic Party? Which story should the Democratic Party adopt as its mantle the you know the aspiration to become a billionaire and then use your resources to lift up those you care about or fight the system from the inside i'll support either one of them um, as strongly as i will support anybody running against donald trump we have a criminal oligarch in the white house so um, whatever we have to do with either one of them I, i think what matters most is trying to make sure that we have somebody Um, who connects with democratic values deeply. And I think those democratic values are really about making sure that government really helps the people who are on the margins, tries to put a little extra wind in the sail for middle-class families who are just trying to make sure that their kids get a good education. Um, And I think we have to make sure that whichever candidate we get is sort of talking about those issues. Both, like we've said, have real problems. I don't think that Mike Bloomberg's problem is his story. I think his story is good. I think Mike Bloomberg's problem, which he obviously was so unable to address the other night, is his, are his issues around his company, his issues around um, his views around race and 
uh, some of the policies that he has implemented, those to me are his greatest liabilities in the same way that we're worried about the ads that are going to run against Bernie about you know having his honeymoon in, in the Soviet Union. The ads that are going to run against Bloomberg are going to be those. And he showed himself completely incapable the other night of being able to respond to those. So I, I, I want to get Bloomberg on the stage 17 more times. You know, the problem is he's come in so late. He's so inexperienced and unvetted. People who are saying he's the most... Well, he's inexperienced at debating, but he's not necessarily unvetted, right? I mean, he served as the mayor of New York City for three yeah, terms. That's a huge difference between running for mayor of New York City and races where, you know, look, in the first race, he wasn't supposed to win, so they didn't pay much attention to him, so he snuck through. In the second race, it was just a blowout. In the third race, it was tighter, and it got a little bit more, but certainly as mayor of New York, he's more vetted than the mayor of, you know, than Pete Buttigieg, right? Absolutely. But you know as well as anybody being vetted in a presidential race. I mean, Joe Biden is the most vetted candidate that we have, right? I don't think there's anything that's going to come out. That guy's had the problems that have brought him down and brought him back up again. Bernie is probably the second most vetted of anybody who's on the stage. Um, the problem for Mike is that he just doesn't have the presidential experience. If, if you simply look at the first Democratic debate and see how well these candidates were debating then versus how well they are debating now, it's a light years away, and it's simply because they've been on the campaign trail. So the, the viability argument for Bloomberg, other than his money right now, I think he's, he's sort of the weakest in terms of being able to give confidence to folks that he can actually take on Trump. He just hasn't been on the trail for us to see him respond, and he failed so badly the other night that some people are trying to figure out, can he find his way back? His great strength is his money. Right. Well... Yes, but as we know from Tom Steyer's experience, if, if it, yes, all it true. is is money, then Tom well, Steyer Tom would Steyer be— Tom Steyer has spent 20 percent of what Bloomberg has spent. Mm -hmm. So let's remember that, yes, Tom Steyer's spending a lot of money, but Bloomberg is half a billion dollars. And you know what? He's doing what he's going to do. He's choosing a different path. But money doesn't simply win. And I'm not saying Bloomberg is a lightweight at all. Bloomberg is a very strong candidate and, and brings a lot to the table. He's just this issue about whether or not he's the most viable. He's not tested yet. That's why he's, and he, and I assume, I mean, I don't see anybody out there defending his performance the other night. It was terrible. And a lot of us thought it wasn't going to be I good, actually probably I am the, in the minority that think that for the average person, the debate performance by Mike Bloomberg wasn't that bad. I thought the Democratic candidates looked like they were hyperventilating, attacking him, and that made him it suggested to me there was a reason why there's this new guy on the stage. So, And I thought he looked presidential, uh, even though he didn't respond to the questions in a manner that uh, some people thought. And I guess because I had done the research on the allegations of sexism, I thought that Elizabeth Warren's attack, you know, that went viral, that everybody thought was so amazing, I thought it was a cheap shot, just personally, because she suggested that women had made allegations when, in fact, the allegations were contained in a booklet that was presented as a gift written by a woman as a joke that she thought was funny. So there was no evidence that anyone was offended by this comment. So I just thought, but anyways, I'm in the minority. Most people yeah. thought he bombed, including my daughter, I might add, who I should disclose, works for the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, he, he, I mean, I believe whatever it was, the Washington Post or Wall Street Journal, one of those did verify those comments that are in that booklet. So it was not- Yeah, like the comments, no. Yeah, the comments up, are in so. the booklet. But the comment in the booklet is a comment in a booklet that was created by a female employee who was dedicating the booklet to Mike Bloomberg because she loved him so. Like it's a it, it's a it's a 
booklet. I like, for instance, if I if you were in a deposition right now, I would show you this thing and say, say, Ethan Strimming, I'll present to you the portable Bloomberg, the wit and wisdom of Michael Bloomberg, which is this pamphlet that was made by this employee that contains all these adages they think represent Michael Bloomberg in a really positive way. Now, unfortunately for the author, she included a couple of comments that were pretty um, profane language. But the point is, is that nobody complained about it. Nobody was offended by it. Nobody was harassed by it when he made the comments. So now they're using the comments to suggest that that this was evidence of him being sexist. When the but Cynthia, that doesn't uh, look. Uh, people no, that may, that's people that's may, important. Well, but uh, like, if, uh, if, isn't it possible that somebody made a comment thirty years ago that at the time people did not speak up about, but today say to themselves, that was really inappropriate, or even at the time didn't understand how destructive that comment was, right? Yeah, so if, if there was if one person- you were blackface in America 70 years ago, you were kind of celebrated on the stage. You try to do that today, it's a very different situation. So I think we have to look at the comments now. And, and, and look, your answer to that was even somewhat better. I mean, I, I disagree. I don't think it was a cheap shot on the part of Elizabeth Warren. I think that these are appropriate things for him to be called to the carpet for, and I think there are people who are deeply offended, and it needs to be addressed. Um, but your answer was even better than his answer. At least he, if he had simply said, yeah, those were inappropriate comments. I shouldn't have made them, and I'm sorry that I did it, and I've done everything I can to make sure I never make them again. Uh, and even that would have been something better than him trying to talk about trying to redirect the conversation to well, say, what he oh, said here about these other women that I've helped. Well, no, but that's an important point, I think. What he said was some people were offended by the jokes that I made, and that's the truth. The people now, Elizabeth Warren, that she's people are who are reading the comments are offended. But the people who work for him, nobody has been identified who worked for him who were offended by those comments. But th this is water under the bridge. Um, really, at this point, people can read these comments. I mean, well, it seems a whole to other me podcast on that exactly, that might be a exactly. So, last point though is Maine yeah. is having its first ever Super Tuesday primary. Thank goodness. Next, you know, March. Thir them caucuses. What do you expect? Well, I expect Bernie's going to win the state. A poll just came out last uh, week, Colby College, um, that showed Bernie about 10 points up. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what shifts. Um, but uh, I was sort of surprised. Actually, Elizabeth Warren was a lot lower. I thought that she was actually going to be stronger in Maine. And Pete Buttigieg was str way stronger than I thought he was in Maine. He was in second place in that poll. We'll see if that maintains. Um, I do, you know, Bernie won Maine handily last time, two to one over just over Hillary Clinton. So. I think that uh, all of us sort of from the beginning have expected that Bernie's going to win the state. I think most even of the other candidates, they don't really have operations in the state other than I think Warren has some and Bloomberg has um, staff in the state. But the other candidates have kind of left us off to the side, which kind of tells you what they, if the candidates aren't spending money in a place, they know they're probably not going to do very well. So. Well, Ethan Strimling, thank you so much. I look forward to having you back in the studio again soon. Anytime. Anytime.